Exodus 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, uh, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And he shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And we will leave it uh, there. Our well, friends, we're looking this evening at uh, this amazing chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 12. And it's all about the Passover, uh, the institution of the Passover, and uh, the very meaningful uh, ordinance that God put in place to teach the people uh, to remember, to remember this great and mighty uh, deliverance that uh, he instituted or that he brought, wherein he brought the people, uh, his people, out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land. Was something that they would have to remember uh, for the rest of their generations. But of course, it speaks of a, a greater redemption, the redemption of Christ. Christ did uh, to redeem his people uh, from their sins. And it's all symbolic and types here, but they're pointing forward uh, to our Savior and uh, his work. Well, we come uh, in this uh, and the previous chapter to uh, the final plague that's to be inflicted on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Do you remember last week we saw the ninth plague was that one of thick uh, darkness? How horrible it must have been, that darkness, really. You cannot, unless you're there, couldn't eat, couldn't cook, couldn't do anything. Pharaoh in his palace, he couldn't indulge in all his uh, nice delicacies and all. He, had, he couldn't even uh, meet with his courtiers and so on. Everything uh, people couldn't do anything. A typical felt darkness, typical perhaps even of that darkness that is to come for those who will be uh, left without Christ at the end of the age. But what a plague this last one is. It's even worse than that. Than that. Because here we see that the firstborn of all the people in Egypt, of every household in Egypt, are going uh, to be taken the only exception is going to be those uh, who are under the blood. And that's my title for tonight, Under uh, the Blood. Uh, people of God 
are the only ones who are going to escape it because they were under the blood of the Lamb. Well, friends, this last play is the knockout punch, really. Uh, it's the, the, one, the, the contest is going to come to an end uh, here, and uh, Pharaoh finally is going to relent. Uh, all this, the stuffing, as it were, is going to be knocked out of him, and he's got no more room for a fight, for a little while anyway. He's going to pick it up again a little bit later. But in this case, he's going to relent after this play has uh, played out, and uh, he's going to let those Hebrew slaves leave, and leave on God's terms. Remember how he was trying to fiddle it and change the terms, and now he's going to allow them, okay, just go, go, get rid of you. That seems to be uh, his, his attitude and the whole of Egypt because they just had enough of trouble and disasters, and they didn't want any more, and it could have got worse for them if they could have lost maybe uh, additional numbers of their family, or worse things could have happened uh, to them, so they were desperate at the end of this play to get rid, rid of them. But uh, we, so we see here uh, this final plague and also, as I said, the institution of the Passover and also the Feast of Unleavened uh, Bread. We'll come to that in just a moment. Well, last week we left Moses and he, do you remember, he was, had his last audience uh, with Pharaoh and uh, Pharaoh got angry with him and said, I don't want to see your face anymore. And uh, Moses said there at the end of verse chapter 10, uh, Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. And uh, then, then we learn here, just going back before we look at chapter 12, in chapter 11, there were actually a few more things that were mentioned uh, by Moses uh, to Pharaoh. His final words are actually told to us in chapter 11. And you can pick it up there from verse 4 uh, to verse 8. These are all Moses speaking in the name of the Lord. Uh, this is the final message from God uh, to Pharaoh. And he's given warning about what's going to happen, this last plague. And we know it's to Pharaoh because you can see even in verse 8, uh, Moses says, at the end of that plague, all your servants will come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great uh, anger. So here, one final word from the Lord uh, for Pharaoh, and uh, one stark warning. At midnight, this very midnight perhaps, there's debate about uh, whether it's that actual evening of that day when Moses spoke with Pharaoh, or perhaps it was a later uh, day, uh, but it wouldn't have been very long if it was. But the Lord, on that midnight, he, was, he would go out uh, through the midst of uh, Egypt, and he himself would strike all the firstborn in every household and the firstborn of all cattle. Remember in the previous plagues, the Lord used uh, other means. He used secondary causes. He used uh, the locusts, or he used the lice, and he used uh, the darkness. But here in this particular plague, it's somewhat exceptional, uh, different, because here it's actually the Lord himself directly. There's no secondary causes. In an in, in immediate sense, uh, immediate sense, he is uh, using, he himself is going to bring uh, this about. He himself is going to strike uh, the, the homes. And regardless of uh, people, nothing's going to, uh, stop. There's, 
whether a person's a, a, a king, a, a pharaoh, as verse 5, 11 verse 5, whether it's pharaoh sitting upon his throne or the firstborn of a maidservant that is behind a mill, it's not going to make any difference. Every household is going to be uh, come under judgment. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you're a laborer or you're a soldier, from the top down, uh, this plague would affect everyone and also uh, the beasts. And then, in verse 6, there would be a great cry. All this is pre-warning given to Pharaoh. There's going to be a great wailing in Egypt because people are going to lose their firstborn sons. And it's going to be terrible wailing. The firstborn son was considered so precious. Pharaoh's especially, he was almost considered a gift from God and almost like divine to lose him, who was his successor. Well, that would have caused terrible grief to the whole, uh, uh, to Pharaoh and uh, to Egypt. And then uh, verse 7 we read, but, <laughs> but, that's a nice but, but it won't touch the house, houses of the children of Israel. It won't do uh, any harm uh, to them. The Lord is going to put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And none of Israel's firstborn would die because they would be under the blood of the Lamb. And not the slightest bit of harm will come uh, to them. Oh, the Lord protects, uh, protecting his people in a gracious way uh, here, as you will see. Why, we have to say, why? Why, oh why, didn't Pharaoh take heed uh, to this final warning? Here he is. Think of it. He's, uh, he's had all those nine warnings be beforehand. And uh, now his, elder, his eldest son's life is in danger. And he's told about it directly. Everything else that Moses has said uh, has come to pass. Everything has happened. And he still is uh, reluctant uh, to, uh, to give way and to yield. Cries of anguish, such unparalleled, unprecedented cries are going to be heard uh, in the land of Egypt. Never been heard like that before uh, throughout the land. And the finger is going to be pointed at Pharaoh because primarily it's his fault. It's he who is hardening his heart above everyone else. Yes, the Egyptians to a certain degree, but he is the one who is saying, no, 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 I will not let, let you go. Uh, but uh, to Pharaoh... Really, he won't release uh, his grip uh, on, uh, on them. If only he would do that, he could avert the judgment to come. But he's too far gone. And some people are too far gone also, we have to say. And they're beyond almost repentance. We don't know probably who they are. But some people have gone too far on in rejecting the Lord. Not in sin, in a, in a sense. A person may be excessively sinful and never have heard the gospel and they can come through to the Lord. God may still be gracious to them. But here is a person, perhaps he's heard the gospel and refused it repeatedly again and again and rejected it. And he's played with the things of God. And he won't respond to the Lord after many calls. But maybe that person will be left. Maybe, we hope not. But the Lord has a right to do as he chooses. But here, uh, Pharaoh is in that position. He's uh, gone just too far. There's no turning back. Now for him, he's going to lose face. And he's got too much pride. Besides, his heart is hardened. He has hardened his heart, and uh, God also has hardened uh, his heart, as we read there. Well, before uh, this plague actually strikes, and the terror strikes, well, the Lord institutes 
uh, this uh, Passover feast, which we come now to in chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 2, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. The Israelites are given a new calendar. They have their civil calendar, which they're following, but now they are given a, a religious calendar. And the re re religious calendar begins uh, in April, the civil one. I think it's in uh, September. Uh, but uh, here they, they're given a, a new calendar. But even more important here, it, uh, it said that this is the birth of the Israelite nation. From this point on, they are considered a nation. And then uh, instructions are given to Moses, which he is to pass on uh, to the elders of Israel. How they are to prepare uh, for those final days of their departure. And I'll just go through it before we uh, see, uh, see what these things uh, represent. Uh, there in verse uh, 3, on the 10th day of the month, the month that they were, that they were now in, uh, on this 10th day, they were to separate a lamb uh, for a sacrifice. And if a household was uh, too small, uh, well, they could join with their neighbors and they could share uh, one, or one lamb. Uh, it didn't need, uh, if, if it was, if it was of, of a small number. Uh, a sacrifice, uh, we see here, had to be held uh, or would be held in each and every uh, home uh, represented to help the people. No doubt to feel that this redemption is not just a general thing, but a personal thing. To bring it home to them as they see the lamb uh, there being sacrificed uh, and the blood being shed uh, for them. Well, uh, the lamb had to be, uh, verse 5, uh, without uh, blemish, without any uh, deformity. It had to be a male of the first year uh, because then the male lamb was in its prime, we could say, and it had to be kept apart uh, for four days. Uh, verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And during that time, it was observed and it was a watch to make sure uh, it didn't have any uh, uh, deformity. It was scrutinized for any possible blemishes because they wanted to be careful that they offered uh, uh, one without blemish. And in the evening of that 14th day, probably about 3 to 6 in the evening, well, that lamb was to be killed by the head of the household, was to be slain uh, by the head of each family. And then the blood was to be taken. Verse 7, take, you shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. That is on the two, the two side posts of the door and the lintel uh, on the top, the blood will be, will be captured in a basin and the, the hyssop will be uh, dipped in the blood and then the, the person, the head of the household, no doubt, would, would strike the sides and the lintel of the doors with the blood. And of course, if you're walking through the streets there, uh, at that time, it'd be easy to see which house had uh, blood on it and which ones uh, didn't uh, if you're in, uh, in those areas. If the Jewish uh, community was somewhat mixed uh, with the Egyptians. But verse 13, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And here's the, the Lord speaking. And when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Well, what's all this about? I'm sure you know already. Uh, but uh, the lamb, of course, is a, a, a type and a symbol of Christ and uh, of his atoning work that he is going to come and do on behalf of his people. The, the Israelites at this particular time, well, they didn't know that. They only followed instructions which were given to them, but they didn't know the parallels. They didn't know what the types represented. Later on, these things would become uh, clearer to them. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we are told Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed uh, for us. And Christ is a type of the, uh, or rather the Passover lamb is a type of Christ. And when we are under the blood of Christ, we're in a, in a spiritually safe position. And we have nothing to fear from the judgment of God and the judgment that is to come when we are under Christ. Well, in what way is this lamb uh, like, uh, like Christ? Well, in, we, in the sense, even just thinking about it being a lamb that was chosen, it wasn't a snake or a, some fierce animal. It was a, a mild and meek lamb which spoke, of course, about Christ and you, the sufferings that he went through and the, the, the troubles that he went through. He never retaliated. When people pulled out the beard, uh, the hairs of his beard, when people spat on him, when he was whipped, when he was crucified, when he was mocked and called all sorts of names, he never retaliated. There was a meekness and a gentleness about the Savior, a lamb-like disposition uh, in all uh, his uh, sufferings. And then we could say uh, he was pure and without blemish, the spotless Lamb of God. He was made in all points like as we are, except for sin. There was no sin in him. And then that lamb had to be uh, one of the first year in the, in the prime of its life. And so also we can say that Christ, he came into service, as it were, when he was in, in the prime of his life, 30 to 33 years old. He gave that time of his life to serving the Lord, to giving his life uh, for uh, his people. It wasn't when he was younger and uh, not strong enough and, or old and somewhat frail and weak that he gave himself. No, in the best time of his manhood, he gives himself uh, for this atoning uh, work. There's also something in that four-day gap. Uh, I came across this in uh, Spurgeon uh, not so long ago, and he was talking about this four-day gap, and uh, you know that the lamb had to be chosen uh, on the tenth day and kept for four days, and then scrutinized, make sure there's no blemishes. Well, you could see, even in this, the Lord, uh, in the last days before he's crucified, he comes into Jerusalem on that final time, when? Four days before his crucifixion. And during that time, if you examine his teachings, and you examine what happens in those four days, he's being questioned, he's being interrogated, he's being scrutinized by all different types of people, and yet found without fault. It seemed that the, the scrutiny and the examination was much more intense during that time than during any other period in his ministry. And yet he comes through it all and uh, is shown to be faultless and uh, pure. 
And so it's a wonderful uh, uh, picture, isn't it? Uh, here already, so many years before it actually happened, pro prophetic of what the Lord uh, would do. But we can't go into every uh, detail, uh, and certainly not to any great length and depth. I can only whet your appetite and hope you go back and think and read some more on these things. But, but one thing had to happen to that lamb, and that was it had to be slain. It, it was not enough for it to be without blemish. It was not sufficient for it to uh, just be there. And uh, so with Christ, it wasn't sufficient for him just to live a perfect life. And some people, you know, they say, oh, if only Christ was here a lot longer. If only Christ had lived a lot longer, uh, then things, maybe the, the kingdom of God would be more powerful and stronger. No, friends, it wouldn't be. Because it was absolutely necessary <coughs> that Christ should die. Just that lamb, it had to be slain, it had to be uh, 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 put to death, so also Christ had to not only live a perfect life, but he also had to be slain and crucified on Calvary's cross because it was there he was taking away our sins. It was there he was making an atonement for our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as said John the Baptist. And surely he had something of that in mind. Uh, so Christ came uh, to, to live for us, yes, but he also uh, came uh, to die uh, for us. For the blood uh, had to be applied uh, to each individual household. And uh, also it uh, is a lesson for us. The blood has to be applied to our lives as individuals. It won't do me any good if it's applied to my neighbor's house or to my neighbor's life, but not to me. It must be applied personally to me. I must be under the blood. I must know that I trust in Christ and that my sins are forgiven. My name is written uh, in heaven. It must be something that I personally experience uh, for myself. I must obtain forgiveness through that sacrifice. Oh, friends, as a... Uh, a nice thought here as well. The blood, well, it was on the sides of the door, and it was on the, the top, the lintel part, but it wasn't on the floor. Why not? Well, if you walk through a door, you're going to trample on it, isn't it? You're going <coughs> to trample on the blood. And uh, we don't want to trample on such the blood that is so very precious, as some people do. Hebrews tells us that. There are some people who trample on the blood of Christ and consider it uh, as, as nothing. Well, we don't want to do that because uh, the blood of Christ is so very precious uh, to the believer. Well, this lamb uh, was uh, then, verse 8, uh, we'll go back to that in, was to be roasted uh, with fire. Uh, people couldn't cook it according to their preference. Uh, they couldn't... Uh, boil it or just eat it half cooked that's what it means when, it's, when it says raw uh, but it was uh, something to be roasted with fire because that also is typical and symbolic of the judgment the, the fire that the Lord Jesus Christ would be subject to to take away our judgment the terrible things that he went through it was to be eaten uh, with unleavened uh, bread leaven speaks of corruption. And uh, here 
the authorities, they were to, the people were to leave behind the corruption uh, of, uh, of Egypt, their idols, in eating that uh, unleavened bread uh, alongside the lamb. And it wouldn't have been a meal. Don't think of it as a meal. It would probably have been just a part of the lamb. But it, because it's, it's, a, it's a, a feast, it's, it's not an actual uh, full meal. But as they were eating this unleavened bread, it, was, it would be, oh, sorry, yes, the unleavened bread, they would be saying, I'm leaving behind the corruption that I've picked up in Egypt. I've picked up many corrupt ways. Some, many of the families even have picked up idols, as, we, as we've seen before, and they had to leave them behind. You couldn't partake of the meal and go forward with the Lord, keeping a hold of these uh, things. You had to uh, let go of them. And uh, so it's here. And with bitter herbs to remind them of the terrible time and the bitter experience that they had had as slaves uh, in Egypt. The griefs, the losses, the cruelty, the bondage that they had suffered uh, in Egypt. And uh, all these things would be a reminder to them. Verse 10, they were to leave nothing of it until uh, the morning. And any that was left over was to be burned. And then verse 11, there's some urgency with which they are to, to leave. Here it is, it's the final night. And they are uh, to gird, uh, eat it with their loins girded, uh, their shoes on their feet and staff in their hand. They were to eat it uh, in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat it with a sense of a readiness. We're ready to leave. We're ready to go. We're ready to depart. As soon as the word comes, go to the meeting point. They would leave their houses and they would go. And uh, that's, that's uh, helpful uh, as well for us as we see just in a minute. But uh, here we see <coughs> uh, what a scene. Think of it, friends. Uh, these are the instructions given. Think of that night. What a scene in the Hebrew household it would have been. The blood has been applied now to the doorposts and the lintels. The Passover meal has been eaten with the bitter herbs uh, and the unleavened bread. And there they are, the whole family, waiting and waiting, waiting uh, for, uh, uh, for, uh, for midnight, waiting for that time uh, when uh, the, the plague uh, would come. And as the time uh, draws nearer and nearer, well, uh, the shrieks uh, begin to be heard from afar and the piercing cries come into their home and the mothers you can see possibly uh, uh, grabbing a hold of their firstborn sons and holding tightly uh, onto them not wanting to let them go but nothing happens to them because they are under the blood and the, the life of those children are is preserved uh, God is gracious uh, to these people they also would have been destroyed. They also ought to have been destroyed. There's nothing special about them really in one sense. There's nothing rather, I should say, deserving in them why they should escape the judgment. They were God's people, but they also had gone away to idols and other things during that time in Egypt. But because they'd followed the Lord's instructions, they themselves are tasting of God's grace and God's mercy, God's free pardon, and uh, they stand uh, here ready and waiting to, uh, to exit when the Lord does call. The Lord, the destroyer, 
passes uh, over them and judgment doesn't come upon them. But we're called as well to follow the Lord. And when we're, he calls us, well, we have to also leave the corruption that is in the world. Leave it behind. We leave behind our idols. And we don't want to be like Lot as well. Remember Lot, uh, when the angels came uh, to bring him out of Sodom. And he, he dilly-dallied. And he procrastinated. And they had to grab a hold of his hand and, and drag him out of the city before the judgment fell. Well, we don't want to be uh, like that. But it's, it's the same here. They were ready to go uh, in haste. Uh, and we must be ready when well, the Lord calls us to follow him and not uh, uh, procrastinate and wait and wait. Some people, we don't know why. Why are you waiting so long? The Lord's calling you. Come, come out. And they, uh, they're slow uh, to come out. Uh, verse uh, 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite uh, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And then look, look at this because this is important. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. This is one of the main reasons why all these plagues have come. Pharaoh had said, I trust in my gods. I trust in my gods. They are more stronger. Who is the Lord? In comparison to my gods. That's what he's been saying all along. And all along he's been hoping that at the very last minute, his gods are somehow going to show up and are going to deliver and show themselves stronger uh, than uh, Moses' God. Never happens. Never happens. And uh, here, uh, through these plagues and this one final plague, uh, Mo, uh, Mo, uh, Pharaoh is brought to see uh, or, or rather, God deals uh, with all the gods of Egypt and shows really they are, they're nothing. They're nothing. They're powerless. And that uh, he is stronger uh, than them all. Well, uh, Moses uh, then is told there in verse 14, uh, mark this 14th day of the first month on the calendar. And once you get uh, to the promised land, to Palestine, it's there to be kept as a feast. It says that later on uh, in the chapter. The feast of the Passover and the feast of uh, unleavened bread are to be kept in uh, Canaan once they arrive there. Well, we too as well, friends, we remember the redemption of our Lord. How? That's yeah, in the Lord's Supper, isn't it? When we get together, uh, as we do here in this church uh, once a month, and we get together to remember the Lord's Supper. Remember that great redemption of Christ. We remember what he has done for us. We remember his precious blood shed for sinners like ourselves. We remember how God has been so gracious to us at that time especially. That's why we should all, if we are believers, we should make a point of being there uh, whenever it is held. That's our memorial of Calvary. And that's what the Lord told us to do, uh, as well as the ordinance of baptism. He's left us this uh, second audience, uh, ordinance of uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, which we are to uh, continually uh, carry out, uh, perpetuate until the time uh, that the Lord uh, comes back again. But uh, as we come uh, to a close, look at verses 21 in verses 21. Uh, to uh, 28. Moses passes on 
the instructions to the elders of Israel, and they pass it on uh, to the people. And then in verse 28, this is quite interesting. The children of Israel, having heard uh, everything, went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. They obeyed. Hebrews 11 verse 28 tells us they obeyed by faith. By faith they kept the Passover. And they were just given these instructions that came from the Lord through Moses, through the elders, to the people, and they received it and they acted upon it. And that's what we do today. We tell other people, this is the gospel. This is the word of God. Christ has done this. Christ has died on the cross. Repent of your sins. Believe in him and he will save you. And all the people need to do is to believe at the word that is given to them. We don't need to be followed up with signs and wonders and miracles accompanying. It's the message that we give to the people and the message which is uh, to be received by faith and obedience. When we respond to the Lord, it's an act of obedience. When we believe what God has said, not only is it an act of faith, it's an act also of obedience uh, to him. We're obeying uh, the Lord. Uh, verse 29, the Lord uh, strikes. This is, this is the actual uh, current, uh, uh, the event unfolding. It came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne, and to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And then that great cry is heard. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Not only a cry of sorrow, also a cry of defeat, no doubt, because uh, their gods had been unable to protect them from this last plague. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. And then Pharaoh uh, sends his, a message via his servants, verse 31, to Moses and Aaron, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. At the end, he seeks a blessing from the God who he's been fighting against. Well, uh, Pharaoh is a broken man. He can take uh, no more. And so he allows the people finally uh, to uh, depart. And so Israel uh, de departs for good uh, from uh, Egypt. And we re you go on, you will see how they departed with the spoil of the Egyptians uh, in their hands. They took the silver and the gold and other things. Uh, they asked, of, asked them for these things. Is it right? Is it right for them to do that? Oh, yes, it is right. Because you think of all the hard things that they've been through and the injustices of, the, of their, their time uh, during Egypt as slaves, they wouldn't have been paid much if they were paid anything at all, probably not. And they were owed a lot of things. It's kind of like reparation uh, for all the troubles that they have been through. So it's only right uh, that they receive these things uh, from them. Verse 37, they gather at Ramses probably around uh, two, uh, two million people. We are, we would, we've, people worked it out to oh, such a huge number 
are going to make this move. And then verse 40, this, uh, now the sojourning of the people we read there uh, who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of Israel went out from the land of Egypt. And uh, it's probably the, the timing there. We don't want to go into this in any great detail. But uh, more likely, it was something around 215 years uh, that uh, they were actually in Egypt. And uh, if we have an opportunity in the future, we will uh, consider that. But I will just mention that in passing uh, for now. But uh, they're out. They're on their way out. Unfortunately, there's a, <coughs> there's a mixed multitude who, are, who, are, who, are on, who, are, who go with them. Then people of the Hebrews, but there are also, it seems, some Egyptians who have joined themselves, impressed perhaps by the signs and the wonders that they have seen. Not converted, but impressed by the things they've seen. And they join themselves uh, to uh, the, the Hebrews. And they're going to be trouble uh, to the people uh, in the time <coughs> to come. Well, as we close, under the blood, under the blood. Friends, are you under the blood? Are you trusting in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? He has made an atonement uh, for sinners. Are you trusting in that sacrifice and in that alone? Will the Lord pass over you on the day of judgment? And then, are you a believer? The blood is, uh, you can say, yes, I am. The blood is on the lintel and the doorposts of my life. But I remember how that blood was visible to other people. Well, you too, friends. If you, it was a public uh, visual representation to the world, uh, to the, the community there. This home is, is a, uh, believing in, in Jehovah. So also uh, for us, our lives should be are on public uh, display. Our faith should be on public display. We shouldn't be afraid or ashamed or embarrassed to tell others, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord. I follow the Lord. I'm a Christian. And uh, to give a testimony uh, to others that uh, this was a, a public, this, that blood uh, visually, publicly displayed was a testimony. And so also uh, we should be uh, to this passing world. Well, may the Lord help us uh, in these things.